Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Valentino Stoll. Hey, now. Darren Bramer. Hey, everybody. Luke Stutters. Hello. And I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And this week, we're going to talk about what it means to be a Top End Dev. As the leading digital platform for medical professionals, Doximity is transforming the healthcare industry. Founded in 2010, Doximity's mission is to help physicians save time so that they can provide better care for patients. They build secure and modern communication workflow and networking tools. Over 1.8 million healthcare professionals, including over 80% of U.S. doctors, rely on Doximity in their day-to-day practice. Their tools are physician-first and patient-centered. Doximity is a remote-first, distributed team, and they take pride in the culture they've built. They recognize that the company is successful when people are successful. They've built a diverse team with an inclusive culture, and they're multicultural, multilingual, and international. Their diversity is their code, too. They build products with Ruby, Rails, Vue.js, and Golang. They'd like you to come join their mission to make every physician more productive so they can provide better care for their patients. Visit workat.doximity.com to see open positions, employee interviews, and Doximity in the news. Now, this is something that I've kind of been talking through with people lately. Yesterday, I was actually on a show called Tiny DevOps, which is done by a friend of mine, Jonathan Hall. He's one of the hosts on the Adventures in DevOps podcast on the Top End Devs podcast network. And we, yeah, we were talking about this idea of being a top end dev. I've actually done the rebrand from devchat.tv to top end devs. I'm starting to put together the community and all of the stuff that goes into that. And so I wanted to talk through some of the the framework and ideas for being a top end dev. And what's funny is, is I talk to people about this and yeah, people, I think we just need to kind of start with the definition because a lot of people, they kind of get this idea of, am I a top end dev? What is a top end dev? And and I kind of have two definitions for people. And one of them is, I guess the short definition, and I'll just put it out there, is being within the top 5% of people in your field, right? So the other version of that is, is you're doing the things that 95% of the people in your field don't do, right? The more, more lengthy version of that is I've worked with people that were kind of those folks that seem to have, I, I, I kind of want to say like an encyclopedic knowledge, right? They, were, they always seem to have the answers. They were always into new technology. They always seem to know what was out there, what was coming, what was new, but also have a real solid foundation in what, what was there. And... They had the soft skills and other uh, critical skills to be able to apply the knowledge and share the knowledge. And so anyway, that, that's kind of the, the direction that we're heading here with being a top end dev. And I think if you've been in this industry for long enough, you've worked with those people, right? You kind of have those those uh, bright lights of, oh, I worked with this guy, I worked with that guy. You know, the guy that comes to mind for me is David Brady, who incidentally used to be on the show. We worked together for six months and then we worked together at another contract that I worked for like a year. And he was always into new things and, and always had a lot of the answers and was always willing to share and made it easy to get the information that I needed from him. So anyway, that's kind of what I'm thinking with top end devs. And I've been working on this framework for, okay, so what do you have to do to be a top end dev? But I'm curious what your thoughts are when it, when it comes down to being a top end dev. I mean, does this kind of jive with some idea that you have? Is there something I missed? So I like your your initial definition, but it, it begs the question, top 5%. So how are we measuring developers right. or how, how are we binning them? And so I think that's probably a lot of what we'll get into today. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different, a lot of different dimensions to that. I think 
at the core of it, solving problems, the ability to solve problems is key. And the ironic thing there is that many problems in software development have already been solved. So knowing when to leverage different patterns, tools, frameworks, and things like that is a key concept, but obviously one of many. Yeah, absolutely. As far as like how you measure it, yeah, there are a lot of different ways to measure the quality, capability of a developer. And in a lot of cases, I think it's it's not as cut and dried as I think people would like it to be in the sense that it's like, hey, if you can do all these things in your top 5%. And I think people contribute in different ways too. And so it's going to depend a little bit on kind of the role you're playing on your team. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, as you as developers get more experience and take on bigger leadership roles, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at uh, from a kind of an entry level software engineer position going up to technical lead, or even if you end up doing a management track, as you get more experience and more valuable, you actually end up spending a little less time coding. At least that's how right. it's been in a lot of places. And the reason for that is you're probably then taking on the much more difficult or challenging components or pieces of engineering that need to happen. And the other parts of your time, you're leading, guiding, mentoring, helping design other aspects of the of the system, and you're helping others around you be productive. And that's really when you get into that multiplier effect, and certainly managers love that, right? When you're able to make others around you more productive. And and those are those are sometimes hard skills to wrap your head around when you're kind of, you know, growing in your career. But, but but super important. Yeah, and it's that multiplier effect specifically that I'm talking about is it seems like there are certain people that when you get them on your team, they're either, sometimes it is code, right? That they're contributing that is making that kind of a difference. And sometimes it's it's not. Sometimes it's other things, right? But one way or another, yeah, they're they're making that difference and bringing that to the team. And what I've looked at is it's like, okay, so what are these people, you know, who have the multiplier effect, whether they're just solving the hard problems or setting other people up for success or doing infrastructure work or picking the right technology or something else? What What's different about them, right? And I found that a lot of them wind up doing a lot of the same kinds of things within the context of of where they're working and what they're doing. And so those are the kinds of things that I kind of want to talk about here as far as, hey, yeah, you know, so what makes a top end dev? What makes somebody that kind of a person where they're contributing at that level? So one thing that I'd kind of like to talk through is who have you worked with that's uh, been this kind of a developer? And what kinds of things do you see them doing that seem to move the needle on this stuff? Because I have I have a framework, I have ideas, but I want to see where you all start before I go there. I'm just I'm just trying to get into it. So what we're really talking about is a kind of Tim Ferris style investigation, looking for things that high performers do that we can learn from. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, among other things. But yeah, it's also in a lot of cases, I, I talk to people and they're just they get stuck on well, how do I stay current? Or how do I, you know, because that seems to be a big part of it, too, is is just knowing what's out there and what's going on. You know, are they learning? What are they doing? And the other end of it is, is if you measure top 5% by like salary, or some of these other things, then it's okay, well, how do I get to those positions, right? The other top 5% is maybe as far as like notoriety or ideas like that. And so if that's the case, then okay, well, how do I, how do I begin to have that kind of a measurement or live up to that kind of a thing where it's it's a reputational thing instead of a instead of 
necessarily like compensation or things like that. Yeah, there's there's so many good topics here to talk about. I really am glad we're hitting this this conversation this week. So I was writing down a couple of things while you're talking. The first was just being curious mm-hmm. and really spending time honing your craft, learning about, like you mentioned, obviously keeping up with newer technologies is important. But I think even just at the fundamental level, spending time uh, just playing around with software, with programs. So there's, I'll try to remember the name of the book. It's where the 10,000 hours concept came from, which if you're not familiar, basically, if you know, if you spend roughly 10,000 hours doing a, a craft, you end up being, you know, really good at it. you kind of reach this threshold. A key example is professional baseball players. Like how do you hit a baseball coming at you? It takes a half a second to from the pitcher's hand before it gets to the catcher's glove. How could anyone in the world and simple reaction time is like 200, 250 milliseconds. How could you possibly do that? Well, they've spent a lot of time seeing those patterns, seeing the ball come off the pitcher's hand knowing when to swing, when to stop. And they've just, they've just done it a lot. Another aspect that comes out of that book is people who excel or really become experts in a field, they are curious mm-hmm. and they spend time just playing around. So like, you know, you can imagine a tennis player, they could go out and do practice or play competitively. But the, the folks who just play around and just are bouncing the ball on the racket, just getting the feel for it, just exploring, you know, just like re- they really love it and get into it. And that curiosity really just ends up manifesting in some some raw talent and the ability to see those patterns. And we talked about problem solving earlier, then being able to apply those when you get onto a project or you're given some specific task. So it sounds kind of boring, but just spending that time and probably for a lot of folks, this might be after hours for them. It might not be nine to five when they're doing the tasks that they've been given. It may not, you know, kind of fit or align with their goals. But investing their time and energy and learning and be and, and, and if you're excited about it, then that becomes a lot easier. Yeah. And it's funny because you, you bring that up and those are the first two uh, parts of the framework. So the framework is made up of two daily things, two weekly things, one monthly thing and then one quarterly thing. So there are six steps to the framework. And the first two deal directly with what we're talking about here. And that is, is you have to learn something new every day. And you have to commit some code every day that's not for work. <laughs> okay. So, because if you're it, a lot of people, they go, Oh, well, commit code every day. Well, that's not hard because I just, I get paid to do that anyway. And the reality is, is no, you've got to go learn something new and then you've got to go commit some code or do something that helps reinforce what it is that you're learning. And it doesn't have to be a big thing, right? So a lot of people get this idea that, Oh, I got to go learn something new every day. So I'm going to go master Webpack. No, you're not. You're not going to go master Webpack. But you can go learn what one of the config options does or how to integrate it into Rails, you know, and so you can take a couple of steps. Oh, this is what this does. This is what that does. This is how this works. This is how this comes together. This is how to make Webpacker look at this other place for this other thing. And those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about when I'm talking about learning something new every day is picking that stuff up and, and going, all right, how do I move my learning journey to the place where I am actually growing and gaining the expertise that I need in order to do this and do it well? And a lot of people do this naturally because they are curious. But what I found is that a lot of people who don't do it when they start doing something like this, they become that curious person, right? They they become the person that 
that is doing this on kind of naturally because they they see the value in it, they enjoy it. And so, yeah, go and learn something new every day. And honestly, I'm I'm not talking about spending an hour. I'm talking about spending 10 minutes, right? And then going and writing some code and committing it, that's another 10 minutes. There's a huge advantage to you're actually better off in some cases to just spend a short amount of time each day, 15 minutes a day. You know, if you're cramming, if you're going to study for a test, you're better to study 15 minutes each day leading up to it rather than just cram a couple of hours the night before. And it's true. Just the repetition yeah. is a big thing. And and picking something, if you're just starting out, then yes, like you, you mentioned Webpacker or different aspects of kind of a basic web stack, you probably do want to pick out different pieces of that and start learning. If you're in a little bit more intermediate stage of your career, it doesn't have to be just kind of, you know, off that checklist. Mm-hmm. Like I'll give you an, ex- an example so I'm, I don't get paid to do game development, but it's something that I'm just really interested in. And so I've been learning new technologies, trying out different things and, you know, learning things about computer graphics and algorithms that, you know, I hadn't really done much with before, but, but I'm really excited about it. I look forward to doing that every day. So if nothing else, choose something that you're really interested or passionate about, and that will motivate you to spend those 15 minutes. Yep. Well, that, so I want to touch on that too, because that's the sixth one. That's the quarterly one is knowing what you want to achieve or what you want to accomplish longer term, right? So if you want to be a competent game developer, then yeah, you start picking things to learn every day that lead up to that, right? But you have to sit down and you have to go, okay, where do I want to wind up? What do I want to learn? Where do I, where do I want to go? And it can, it can be a hobby. But uh, for a lot of folks, I talk to them and they're like, well, I want to, you know, I want to be a CTO of, of a startup or uh, other people. It's like, you know, I don't want to do management. I don't really want to do like even architecture, right? I just I just want to write code and and do that. But I kind of imagine that at some point I want to do some mentorship or put together some courses or things like that, right? And so all of those different things come into play. And as you kind of sit down and figure out, okay, what does that look like? Then you can start to pick topics that, that take you down that road. And my recommendation is at least two of the seven days a week that you're learning something new should be things that apply directly to where you wind up, want to wind up, right? And another one or two per week ought to be skills that are not code. So it could be DevOps, it could be uh, soft skills, it could be you know how to talk to your boss, it could be how to update your resume. I mean, anything like that, because those skills, what I find, is that those skills are often the ones that are somewhat intangible, but at the same time are the ones that people are really hiring for and looking for and are going to really be valuable to you in your career. And then a lot of times are the ones that people don't cultivate. Yeah, I think what you're what you're highlighting is that, you know, put a plan together, you know, like anything that's going to take time and energy and you have a goal, put a plan together. And your suggestion about kind of dividing up spending n number of days a week on kind of more practical and maybe sit, setting aside a few days for the the hobbyist or other that's a great great suggestion as well. Yeah. One other yeah. objection that I hear a lot though is when I talk to people about the long-term planning cuz for that long-term planning what I tell people to do is look at least 3 years where do you want to be in 3 4 5 whatever years or just long term I want to be a uh, uncle bob or whatever or whatever. And then from there it's what do I need to do over the next 3 months to go down that road. And then people say, well, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. But the point is, is no, neither does anybody else. But if you're working towards somewhere that you think is going to fulfill you, then you're going to learn skills that are going to get you to wherever you decide you're going to want to be. And you can always change that long-term goal, right? And you're only committing to it for three months before you go, 
I thought I wanted to speak at all the conferences, but it turns out that I hate making slides. I hate organizing the talks and it terrifies me to get up in front of people. So this isn't going to be my thing. It's going to be something else, right? But but you went and you picked up some skills and now you're better at explaining yourself to your coworkers, right? Yeah, I, I think the plan is important. Understanding that you're always going to launch and adjust. As soon as you put a plan down on paper, you know, or in electronic form or, or otherwise, that's the probably the one thing that you know for sure is not going to happen exactly that way, right? Yep. Like, something always happens. But if you don't have that, you could be walking in the opposite direction of, of where you want to go. And it's true. Like, you know, since I've I left corporate to become an independent, I've tried a couple of different things and I it, I, it turned out I just didn't really enjoy that, you know, and and, and so you, you adjust. I, th- I think one thing that and uh, if I'm going to skip numbers and uh, ordered steps i i uh apologize no, but so at <laughs> extending off of the curiosity and spending time i would encourage really everyone but especially those who are growing their skills you know at an earlier point in their career or otherwise to after you learn something new then go and explain it to others whether that be through creating a presentation like a brown bag type thing although we don't really have brown bags mm-hmm. in, as much in this virtual world, but that type of thing or uh, some kind of training presentation, because that is how you really understand, get to understand something. If you can explain what you've learned to other people, I almost guarantee you'll learn more about that in the process and have a better understanding in the end. And it will it will also grow your skills. Communication is so important. And I think if you're going to be a top end dev, I think having the ability to clearly communicate is just really going to be critical. I don't think you can get around that. It could be written. You know, it's often oral when you're talking with other folks, but the ability to, to write and communicate clearly is very important because at the end of the day, you're going to be solving these problems and you're going to advocate for a certain way to solve them. And so not everybody is in your head. They don't understand the thoughts that you're having. So you need to be able to articulate why you believe that is a good direction to go in. And so that is that is quite important. Yeah. So you you hit one of the weekly things, and that is just to you have to produce <laughs> one piece of content every week. Okay. Mm. Now yeah. a lot of people are like, well, I'm not confident enough to do a YouTube video or a podcast. And that's fine. Write a blog. I mean, whatever, right? But at least you're organizing your thoughts, you're figuring out how to explain ideas, you're learning how to communicate. And the other thing is, is you're going to have this, what's the right word? You're going to have this compilation, I guess, of basically it. Well, it's that, part of your portfolio in for. some yep. regard. So you're going to have this portfolio <laughs> of content that you've written that was actually going to help when you're trying to find a job or trying to connect with other people or get a, a speaking bid at a conference or, I mean, take your pick. But yeah, it. That that stuff pays off in many, many ways. But even if it even if no one reads it and you just get your thoughts organized and learn how to explain yourself, it's it's so critical. And then if you do wind up going independent, like Darren's talking about, I mean, that's another thing is, is this is my second time through being independent as far as like freelancing and stuff and having content both times. Even if the people who were hiring me were not technical people, it made a major difference because they they could at least look at it and see that I at least projected that I knew what I was talking about, even if they didn't understand it well enough to validate that I knew what I was talking about, if that makes sense. (laughs) I think there's another advantage to it as well, putting content out there is it gets you part of a larger community as well. And it gets you into a, a dialogue. I know certainly many of the guests that we have on this podcast 
they they come to our attention because of an article that they wrote or because of a very interesting post that they made. But beyond just even podcasts, you'll get other folks commenting and replying on that, maybe start a Reddit thread on the topic. It really gets you part of that larger dialogue and part of the community too. Yep. And I, I'm going to just call you Segway Guy because those are the last two things that I have in my framework, right? <laughs> so, so you commit code every day. You learn something new every day. You make your three-month plan and follow it. And you post a piece of content. The last two are community focused. One of them is, is every month you go to some kind of community event. Now, it can be just I'm going to lunch with my tech buddies that I that that live around me. Right. Not everybody has that opportunity because not every locality has a, a community that will support something like that. But then jump on a conference call, you know, go go get on a Slack and say, hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to stand up a Zoom room and, you know, the the first nine people in there because it keeps me under that limit for a free Zoom account. The first nine people in there, we're just going to talk for an hour. Right. I mean, something right. And whether you have to organize it yourself or not, but just participate in something now. Every six months, one of those ought to be a conference or a summit or something like it, right, where there's a larger number of people coming together for things and then try and pick an event if it's virtual that has some aspect of the networking. And the reason is, is because it opens up opportunities that you're not going to have anywhere else to interact with a different type, different caliber, different whatever. You're going to get a different set of people in that in that group. And then the other one is, is every week you need to meet somebody new and cultivate a relationship with them. And the reason is, is because what I find is that a lot of people, when they're really trying to get their head around this stuff, is the first thing they go to is, is, well, I, I need to stay current. I want to know what's new. I want to know what's going on. And the way that most of the people that you see that are kind of at the top of the celebrity, whatever, the, the people that are that are that you're listening to at the conferences and stuff is that they're having conversations with those other people. Right. And so you need to be having those conversations and seeing what people are doing, seeing what they're learning, seeing what they're paying attention to so that you can as well do that. But the other thing is, is then if you have an opportunity that you would benefit from having them involved in or vice versa, then you're on each other's radar, right? And so then if if I get to know somebody and I like them, right, I invite them to be a guest or host on the podcast, right? And And that benefits them. It benefits me. And most of the time, those kinds of things are mutual things. That's the same thing with going to the community events every month is you build those kinds of relationships where you then can have some mutual advantage to, hey, I have this opportunity. And if I get you involved, we both benefit more, right? And so by building those relationships and having those opportunities, you're going to have a lot more options for what you can and can't offer. And and, it, and I just find that very powerful. In fact, pretty much every opportunity that I've had over the last 10 years, probably of my career, have all come out of the people I know. Yeah, I think these are really important points. And, you know, we've talked about a number of different things that folks can do. It takes a little bit of, of discipline, right? Because we're talking about, you know, daily and weekly activities. But I think also the community part too, like a lot a lot of as developers, things we do are inward facing, whether that be code, you know, kind of coding is between us and our code, or, you know, we can research and read and prepare. But, you know, a lot, it's easy for a lot of developers to get stuck in that kind of that paradigm. And so shifting that and getting out and branching out 
getting uh, more involved in the community, writing, talking with others, going to conferences. You know, you really, for some folks, it doesn't come as naturally, but it really is worth the time and investment of, of doing that. And so it's just, I, I, I would urge people not to kind of get stuck in the same pattern, but to break out of that and, and try some different things. And you'd be surprised the different rewards, you know, how, how rewarding it, it can be. Hey, if, if Luke's going to contradict me, just, just keep right. him out of the, the, the yeah. chat room. Yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Right, I want to hear what you have to say, man. I like computing. I like sitting on my own in a nice quiet room with me and my computer and my keyboard, writing some great code, writing the top 5% of code. I don't want to go out and give talks and be social and meet new people. If I, I, I'd be a salesman, surely. You know, I'd make loads more money. I'd be a CEO or a salesman <laughs> if I wanted to meet people. Is there any way I can kind of become a top 5% dev and just never talk to another human being ever again? So you used to could, in my opinion, but you can't anymore. It just doesn't work that way. Time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun Alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customer peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. I think the challenge is, yeah, it used to be smaller domains in which we worked. I think things are so expansive now and there's a new thing every day without being without talking with other people. You know, you're, you're going to miss out on things. And who who's going to be there to, to challenge, you know, the ideas that you might have of putting those dancing cats in your on your web pages? I mean, I don't know, Luke. What, what I've, do you I've think? ironically used the blink tag and uh, I do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, this just gives you a whole bunch of good feedback loops, right? Whether it's content you're consuming, whether it's, you know, people you're talking to, whether it's mentorship that you are getting or providing i mean all of these things play into this and and really you know come to bear but what's also interesting is is that one of the questions that came up on my interview with uh tiny devops jonathan asked me like books or you know how all that fits in and again you know it doesn't matter that that's the thing is you don't have to be constrained by this is the method i'm going to use to learn or this is the you know the way that i'm going to do any of this right you figure out what works for you, and then you just make sure that you're getting these practices. So if you have to go out and email five people every week to get somebody to jump on a call with you so you can start getting to know them, then great, fine. If if it's some other methodology that you use to to learn things, good. But But it's the people that seem to be making a consistent effort are the ones that seem to get the outcomes that they're really looking for. I think there's a huge divide right amongst programmers in that the whole like the whole reason we program is to add value to something mm -hmm. right and so it's trying to find there's almost two paths that you can add value and it's either generating these tools yourself to solve problems or joining in with others and helping solve problems 
with kind of the tools that exist. And it's almost, you know, open source in general has introduced the need for the community now, right? Mm -hmm. And so you used, like Luke was mentioning, you used to be able to, okay, just go out and build all of your tools yep, and do what you wanted. But it's all, we're to the point now where that community has eclipsed that ability, mm -hmm. right? So like you could go on your own, learn all this stuff yourself in a, in a niche if you wanted, uh, hold yourself up in a basement somewhere and play guitar while you code up a, a storm and hope to add value yourself. But I just think that the community is so large and the tools are so big outside of that, that at this point, why do that? <laughs> yeah. There's just so much value that can be added to you joining in the in the community and corralling around the group effort than holding up. But it all circles back to how you want to add value. And to what, right? Like, if your goal is to make some side business that can just generate revenue for you from something you don't have to maintain often, that is possible, but rare, right? And it's very hard to do. You know, it's almost like <laughs> I always circle back to all these investors out there saying, oh, follow your dreams, do do whatever that you want, If be creative, right? Uh, but a lot of that is impractical in real life, right? Like, it's really hard to do that. <laughs> Not that you shouldn't or or pursue your dreams, uh, but it's very hard and it's very rare to succeed. And I, I think as a developer, if, you, if you're trying to just become a developer and become good at that, right? I feel like that is a pursuit, not targeting that, right? Not not targeting holding yourself up and closing yourself off from the mainstream. Yeah, I agree. And what's interesting is that the reason that I say you used to be able to and now you can't is is more or less what you pointed out was that the needs have become more sophisticated. And so the solutions and the development teams that work on them have to become larger. But uh, the other thing is, is that a lot of the easy wins and a lot of the simpler technologies are just not sufficient anymore, or the easy problems have all been solved, right? The other thing is, is that a lot of the, how do I put it, the advantages that you have in the market anymore come from your ability to do something that can't be duplicated by other people. And so a lot of that just is going to come out of the, the arena of, hey, look, you know, if I could do this myself in a week, then what's the real value in it, right? It's it's when I have to get to a different level of execution that we start talking about real value and things. So you can go solve the the one-person problems, but the world is looking for solutions to the, the, the three and five and 10 and 100-person problems. So I guess what I was trying to tease out, Chuck, is it sounds like what we're talking about is craftsmanship, right? In a lot and of ways, yeah. And really honing a skill set and not, not necessarily Ruby or JavaScript, right? Like programming in general, but really a skill set that includes like really a lot, half teamwork, right? Like mm -hmm. empathy is definitely a huge aspect of programming, right? Like being able to join a team and work with somebody else and be able to be empathetic and kind of gauge your coworkers at the same time that you're adding value, you know, so that the team can add value mm -hmm. is just as big as knowing how to do your job, right? 
Well, I would argue that it's actually more valuable or more sought after than the technical skills, right? Because if you're technically competent, I mean, you have to be able to do the job, right? But beyond that, I was talking to my neighbor the other day. He was bringing out his garbage can when I got home to drop my kids off from school. And he's a manager over at Adobe at the office here in Utah. And he mentioned that he finally was able to offload some guy from his team to another team in Adobe. And nobody would touch this guy, even though he was technically competent, because he was a pain in the butt to deal with. And what I see more and more and more often is it's the personality and personal issues things that get people fired or encouraged to leave is often the way that you see it done instead of, you know, out and out, hey, don't come back. It's let's make it more painful for you to be here than for you to be somewhere else. Right. And so they or encourage you to leave. Right. Instead of telling you you have to. And I've seen teams where you know, the most technically competent person on the team was the person that nobody wanted to deal with. And it's more often that that's the real problem than that you have somebody that can't do the technical work. And if you're moving ahead in the ways that we're talking about, you're learning something new every day, you're making sure that you're talking to people that are going to push you along. What you're going to wind up with is you're going to wind up being able to, A, have those same conversations with people on your team and help move them along. But the other thing is, is if I'm your boss and I can see that you're going to get there and that you're working hard to get there and that you can do enough work to be valuable to the team, I'm going to keep you because I know that in six months or a year or however long it takes for you to get to the level of expertise that I need for you to really knock it out of the park for me you're really going to knock it out of the park for me and you're going to keep moving up. And so you're well worth keeping in the long term just by virtue of the things that you're doing in order to improve yourself. Yeah, I think we've all been on a team that had the person who was just no fun, not a great team player, just not pleasant to be around. And it literally, it changes the whole team dynamic. You, people end up working around that person or trying to figure out how to avoid having to interact with them. It was interesting I mentioned game dev. I was just, I stumbled across a thread on how to get started in the game industry. And uh, one of the bigger threads was just two things get a basic skill set. Like you said, Chuck, you have to be able to do the job, but get a basic skill set and be a nice person. <laughs> those, those were the two things. And, and yeah, I mean, whether you want to get ahead or not, like, <laughs> let's just, let's just yeah. all strive for, for that goal, right? Just be a nice, nice person. You're not always excited to show up for work that day, but. But be nice to people because they've got they're dealing with yeah. their issues, too. So it, it turns think, the rest of the team into hostage negotiators is the way that I always put it. I think that there <laughs> is very true. That you need to be able to get on with people. But at the same time, I don't think that's a helpful characteristic for getting to the top. If you want to get to the top, if you want to get to the top five percent and beat 95 percent of people, and I do mean beat if you're going to be better than 95% of people, then you need to have a drive to be better than other people. So for me, the best and most effective people I've worked with have been very quick at what they do. I've never worked with anyone who's made great code slowly. They've always been really fast. They've always had incredible clarity about what they're doing. And you know they, they don't tend to arm and arm. They tend to be like, yes, this, no, it's not that. Generally, the, the top people I've worked with have a very broad skill set. They're not just into one thing. They always have a very broad range of technical stack. They might not 
choose to do everything, but they certainly know a bit of everything. But yeah, they, they. I think I think you have to have a competitive drive in order to really improve your skills. And as Chuck was saying, you know, really at the end of the day, I measure success by how happy are the users, how happy are the customers, you mm-hmm. know, rather than any kind of abstract thing. Uh, as you were saying, when it comes to management, who do you value? The people who who make people happy, you know, the people who make the wheels turn. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure how much of that is to do with collaboration and how much of it is to do with really trying to improve the status quo. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely something to it. You can't become a top end dev without other people, without being able to work well with other folks. So as as far as that goes, I agree. But you also, yeah, you have to be able to execute, right, at that level. There's definitely both aspects, right? And that's why we're talking about, hey, you know, you you need to be learning something new every day. You need to be committing code every day, right? Because you, you, you have to get into the practice of doing that stuff, right? I think, I don't know if it was you or Darren that mentioned it at the beginning, but it, it is, it's that practice, right? It's that. I've done this so many times that I can, you know, I can rails my way out of this box, right? And yeah, so it's both. But what I find is that people get stuck and they get stuck and then they go and try and learn new technical skills to try and get unstuck. And the reality is, is that the next thing that they need to do is they need to go and network with people or they need to increase their skill in one area or another where they can present ideas and communicate better. And then and then once they're doing that, then somebody will say, oh, and there's this other technical thing that you ought to know, right? And if you're not doing both, they both hamper each other in, in our space. Because if you're not learning new technical things, then you're not as interesting to the people, right? And if you're not if you're not out there actively participating with other people, then you're not going to have that good feedback to get you where you need to go technically. But they're also their own pillars in the sense that if you're not building them and you don't have that those things to to kind of jump off of to the next thing, you, you may not have enough fuel to get to the level you want to get to. I want to circle back just for a minute, Luke, something you said. I think I understand now where you're coming from. We were talking about being a nice person. And then you you were kind of highlighting that you need to be competitive and have a drive. And I think sometimes we think of those as mutually exclusive. Like if you want to talk about some more famous examples, like how was Steve Jobs right. when he would walk around the halls at Apple? Was he you know, <laughs> being polite to everybody he encountered? Or was he in his head thinking about the next product idea? Or Elon Musk, or I worked at Amazon, never ran into Jeff Bezos. I don't know what he's like. You know, how are those folks really driven in there? And and I know I do this. I always want to be, I want to maximize my productivity each day. And so I struggled this when I was in an office environment, trying to be making sure, you know, I wasn't always in my head. If I was walking down the hall, I ran into someone in the pan, in the kitchen, say hello, like have a short conversation and then get back to whatever I was doing. So it is, I think, I think it is possible to kind of do both, to have that competitive drive and determination, but also to be a nice person. It's it, it sometimes seems like opposite, but a lot of this comes out, I think, in when you do interact. And so, you know, I've been in a number, well, everybody's been in design reviews. I guess it could, it could be in code reviews as well, but especially when you're in person and you're getting f- feedback and it's very easy to either deliver that feedback in a way which seems like you're being overly critical or rude even, I guess you could say. And it's also easy as the 
as the presenter to internalize that and feel like you're being attacked when in reality, the person on the other end just wants to make the product the best that it can be. And those are hard things to, to try to balance. And you can look at it from both both perspectives. But you, you hit on a good point that how do you you know, balance those two, those two things. But certainly, yeah, you need the competitive drive yep, if right. you want to get to the top. And that's another good part of being involved, right? Like if you sat in the basement and coded for four weeks and you created this great thing, well, you feel it's a great software product. <laughs> you release it to the world on the, the day one of the second month. And then people are like, where's the start button? Or why is it blue? I mean, like, and in your mind, you're like, I've created this perfect thing. How could you possibly be saying that it has to, it should it be, to <laughs> work differently, you know? Yeah. Well, and we can all think of examples, too, where somebody released something and somebody wanted it different one way or the other for good reasons or not. And they didn't take the criticism well and disappeared. And, you know, the, these are all things. They're all skills. I mean, even the mental toughness, I think, is, is something that you have to exercise and learn. And yeah, I mean, then you get where you want to go. But yeah, I agree. You have to have that drive and then you have to recognize that there's going to be some aspect of involving other people that you know, that is going to get you there. And at the same time, yeah, you can't get there without executing, without doing the work, writing the code. Yeah. I got some really good advice from a previous manager and I try to apply it. I'm not always that great at, <laughs> at, at putting in practice. But when you get that feedback after you're presenting your design or you put your code review out is to not not kind of respond in a def- in a de- defensive manner right away like give it give it some time let it sink in let it settle understand where that other person is coming from and there there very well could be some good ideas in what the in what they're saying i think we too often get into a defensive posture right away when we get feedback and that that i think is part of just like that interaction and when you when you can take the good aspects out of the feedback you're getting and then incorporate it back in combined with the the, con- the valuable contribution that you made. And I think that that really gets noticed by both your peers and managers. All right. Well, anything else to add to this before we jump over to picks? One thing I wanted to touch on was knowing how to, to experiment with things. I know you briefly mentioned the need to try new things as part of your honing of your skill, but you know the best programmers I know are always just experimenting. Like, does this thing run faster? Well, let's, they go and they set up a profile for it and test it and see if one way works over the other. And learning kind of when to experiment and how to do that produces these open source libraries that we use, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's something there I don't know the right way or if there's like a specific way to experiment or not. I just know that it's definitely been a key from a lot. It's been a common attribute of a lot of great, you know, devs that I know. Yep, I agree. I completely agree. And I have a thought, but it's kind of half baked that I would. But essentially, yeah, you mentioned I, I don't know how to tell you how to do it. The people that I see that really do this well are people that have done it a lot. And so they're, you know, they almost have practice at practicing, for lack of a better way of putting it, right? And so they're going to go out and they are comfortable with pulling the thing together and having it fall over or have it not work the way they want. And they're kind of resilient to that to the point where they kind of get used to this is the place where I'm going to go look when I have a problem or this is the thing that I do when it doesn't quite go the way that I want. And a lot of times the experimentation is the fact that it fails, right? 
And I learned something because I fixed that one problem and now I have a different problem. And so, yeah, the people that I see that go out and experiment, they're not the people that are going out and have the new whiz-bang thing work for them the first time around or have the new utility they're writing work the first time around. They're the people that go out and they get a little closer and they get a little bit better proof of concept and then they move ahead and experiment some more. And so, yeah, I just want to point out that experimentation isn't always the, oh, I'm going to follow the tutorial and it's going to work. The experimentation is... I'm going to try something different and I fully expect it to break and I'm going to be okay with that and learn something from that. Yeah, great stuff. And to add to the practice at practicing, I think top-end devs do this and folks should learn how to, whatever technology you're in, know how to quickly set up a playground environment where you can have, you know, start writing something, being able to run it and test it. So, you know, in the Ruby world, if you're doing Rails, it'd be the equivalent of creating a new directory, doing Rails new and starting to play around, but whatever that is, whether it's an online IDE or Java project, whatever, be able to easily experiment, try different things. And if it doesn't work, then you just delete that directory and, and move on with your day. But at least you you gather some knowledge and experience in the process. Yep, absolutely. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast. And you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Valentino, do you have some picks for us? Sure. All this talk has uh, reminded me of this art, great article by uh, Godfrey Chan. It's called Rethinking Computer Science Education. And he basically walks through all the ways in which traditional computer science degree is kind of broken in a lot of ways from how it transitions into real world work. I highly recommend give it a read. It's it's very thought out and uh, detailed. So there's lots of great ideas in there. And my next pick is uh, my coworker, Sarah Reed. She gave a talk at RubyConf called RSwag Automated API Documentation. It's a great talk on automating self-documentation with your uh, API using, uh, you know, just using your specs and uh, a couple helper libraries. It's uh, really great. I uh, highly recommend it. Awesome. Darren, what are your picks? I have a couple picks today. So the first one is for 2022. I've actually, one of my goals is to focus back on on writing. And so I'm getting back into doing more of that in a freelance manner. So if folks have, I don't have a website set up yet, but my Twitter handle is in the show notes. Really, the things that I specialize in are making complex topics easier to understand and grasp, kind of explaining that to a, a wider audience. And also, you know, why do customers care? Highlighting some of the, the features and why should someone pay attention to this? I'm working 
with a client right now who has some great tech diff differentiating uh, technology, but it's not really coming out in their messaging. So I'm helping them get that across. So reach out to me if you're at all interested there. My other pick, I mentioned that I was getting back into game development and a lot of games is about the art. And so I've really gotten interested in just that aspect of it and animation. And so there is a core book that's kind of well known for the, the fundamentals of this and it's the animator survival kit and it's written by the animation director of who framed roger rabbit but it goes back to kind of you know like we've we're talking about learning something new starting with the fundamentals and just the principles of animation and you might be surprised he mentions timing and spacing as being some of the more important things so it's very interesting and obviously that doesn't have to do with pixels or colors or whatever but they're very important concepts and so i'm really enjoying that book so if you're at all interested in in art or animation definitely something worth checking out awesome luke what are your picks this is something i got from a colleague it's a kind of modular keyboard called the nori keyboard he was soldering it up and it had some kind of weird soldering fault and i fixed it just by waving the soldering iron violently over the pads until they kind of gave in and started working again kind of sweep soldering loads of flux but the design really caught my eye and it's the kind of project where it's good for practicing your soldering because there's loads of soldering on it and at the end of it you get to make your own keyboard so you kind of get something out of it so this kind of modular nori keyboard i quite like the look of i've seen it work on the software side of things, I've been watching all of the new talks uploaded to the Ruby Central YouTube channel, and that is an absolutely miserable experience, let me tell you. And don't get me wrong, I love <laughs> Ruby and Rails, but oh my word, slogging through, and I'm not going to name any names here, but slogging through <laughs> some of these talks. And the great irony of software development is often the people who have the best ideas, the people who write the most code, those are often the people who are the worst at communicating those ideas. And there seems to be an inverse relationship between the kind of great code that's coming out and people's ability to really communicate and promote that, which could be why I find it very easy to talk, of course. And I think what you were saying earlier about becoming a top-end dev, Chuck, is that we've all got our kind of talents that we can, can do really easily. And then we've got our weaknesses, you know, those areas where we, we don't do those things so well. And I'm trying to address the weaknesses in my own skill set and move out of my comfort zone because there's something, everyone's got things they do really well. So one of the things I don't do so well is the really kind of hardcore bits of programming. So I've been trying to read Robert Nystrom's Crafting Interpreters, which was recommended out of one of the talks on the Ruby Central YouTube channel. And my word, is that hard going? That is a that is a tough book. So it's kind of an aspirational pick for me. And it's to do with the theory behind writing something like Ruby. You know, you want to go and write your own Ruby. This is this is how you do it. Start reading that book. And I'm not saying that I am going to write my own Ruby. Far from it. But I feel like it's filling in a lot of the gaps in my knowledge. And I think a lot of people with my background of kind of wandering into software development might have some gaps filled by that pick too. So there we go. My second pick is Crafting Interpreters by Robert Nystrom. Awesome. All right. 
That's awesome. Luke, when you write your Ruby implementation, can you have it run on uh, mobile uh, apps also, please? What that consisted of was downloading Ruby source code, messing with it by putting in an amusing thing like make this true 90% of the time, compiling it, and then installing it on one of the company director's machines about their knowledge. (laughs) So I have written a version of Ruby, but it wasn't released to the public. So really Don't do that, by the that's way. Awesome. That's very bad for your career. I think that's yeah. hilarious. All right, I've got a couple of picks here. So uh, board games. The board game that I've been playing lately with my wife is Pandemic The Cure. So if you've played Pandemic, this is nothing like Pandemic. It's made by the same company, and uh, it's kind of got the same ideas like infection stuff. But effectively, the way that it works is, and it has outbreaks, and anyway. So you, you've you got this uh, track that you've got markers on, and the markers are syringes, right? But one of them tracks the number of outbreaks, just like you have in Pandemic, and the other one is another track that just tracks your infection rate. And so then as you, it's a dice game. And so uh, the dice are actually the infection cubes. And so when you roll them, you place them on the number you rolled. And different colors have different probabilities of which space they'll go on. There are six spaces. And then you have people that have different abilities. And so you move around and you do your thing. And uh, we've been playing the expansion. I don't know if the expansion... The expansion's got to have a name. But anyway, it's it's been really fun. So it adds purple cubes that do things a little bit differently. And then the other one has like, what do they call them? They're, they're green dice. And basically they have different icons that do different things on the spaces they're sitting on. And so if it's a white icon, then you as a player can roll the die and do whatever was on the face of the die when you picked it up to roll it, right? So you can move other dice to other spots or have an extra help when you're trying to cure the disease or things like that. So anyway, it's it's been really, really fun. I don't know if it necessarily qualifies as a board game, but because you basically have like pieces that make up the board, but yeah, it's kind of a board game. It's mostly a dice game, but it's a lot of fun and we've really been enjoying it. So we've been playing that. She gets together with her friends every Wednesday night and they play some form of pandemic. They've been doing this for like three years. So they were doing it before the actual pandemic. So anyway, fun game. So I'm going to pick that. And I'll put links to both the game and the expansion in the show notes. And then I also just want to talk about topendevs.com for a minute. So if you go over there, I'm consistently updating it. But yeah, so I'm putting together basically resources for you to be able to do the things that we're talking about, right? So there's going to be kind of a mini course on how to plan your three months. And then there's a Slack channel where you can go meet people. And if you go to the water cooler channel, there's a a bot in there called Donut. That's the name of the program. But what Donut does is it actually allows you to set a coffee break where you meet somebody else and and conference with them. And so it's like, hey, I want to meet somebody. And then they say, I want to meet somebody. And then it says, you two should meet. (laughs) And then you can set up a coffee chat online. And so that's a great way to meet people. We're, We're also working on getting together some other video series where you get the 10 minute video, right? So it's, hey, I'm going to watch the video for this week from the Docker series or the Ruby series or the JavaScript series or whatever. And and that way you can consistently be learning. I'm also working on organizing a book club. I'm working on organizing uh, meetup groups. 
So you, you can see that I'm kind of putting all the pieces together so that you can get most of this in one place. But I don't want to limit you to just what we offer. If, you, if you're out there trying to learn something else for some other thing, then I'm also working on a directory where you can go and say, well, I actually want to learn this, right? And there either isn't a video or a recent video out on it. So then you can go watch something off YouTube or something off of uh, something else or, you know, go pick up a book about it or whatever. So uh, that's another thing that, that I'm pulling together. And yeah, if, if you all want to be authors, right, and help with one of those series, I'm doing 25% payout to authors. And, uh, you know, if you want to help organize some of the monthly meetup groups or help out in the Slack or anything like that, I'm open to that. Uh, or if you just want to come sign up and be part of the conversation and part of the, the community there, we're doing that too. So anyway, go to topendevs.com and uh, you can sign up. And I'm looking forward to interacting with you there. Uh, we've got a couple people in there already. So if you're interested, I'd, I'd love to have you on board. If you use the code Ruby Rogues, I'll do a 25% discount to, to listeners. So anyway, that's pretty much it. I just kind of wanted to talk about what we got going on there. The podcast network also kind of lives there too. So you kind of get the best of all the worlds. But yeah, that's what we got. Well, thank you all for uh, humoring me and having a conversation about this. This is something I've been thinking a lot about. And until next time, folks, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.